0: Welcome to all those online and everybody here. It's wonderful to see some guests with us this morning. I really appreciate you being here. I'm getting an echo. Are we okay, Dennis? I have a weird ear, so. <laughs> Is that good? That's good. 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 Okay, so we're looking at the book of Revelation, and remember that John, the Apostle John, is in the middle of a vision that God has given him, and in this vision, uh, Jesus is talking to him and saying, I want you to write this down. I want you to take down dictation. I'm writing some letters to seven churches around the Middle East. So that's what's going on. Um, Jesus is speaking to seven of those early churches, but Since it's the word of God, he's also speaking to us two millennia later. Okay, so this is the second church, the church of Smyrna. Smyrna was a very rich cosmopolitan seaport. Everybody was in and out of there all the time. There was a big synagogue of Jews there. There was a colony of Christians there. There was everybody else there. And this is what Jesus said about Smyrna. Okay, here's the scripture. He says, To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These are the words of him who is the first and last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews, but are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. So, What persecution was Smyrna facing? Well, they were part of the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire basically took over everything and made everybody play nice together, unless you were an enemy of Rome, and then you got smashed. So trade was good, there was comparative peace. You were living under an oppressive rule, but the Romans were kind of like the Americans in the sense that they were capitalists. They wanted to have money and, and make everything go like clockwork, and they did. And as long as you didn't get in their way, it was not too bad of a life. But not getting in their way meant that you had to worship the Roman emperor as God. You had to kneel down and say, Roman emperor, you're God, I worship you. Well, the Smyrna Christians wouldn't do that. So they were under severe pressure to not only worship all the little local deities, but to worship the Roman emperor. And when they refused, it was seen as being antisocial, un-American, if you will. So they were under a lot of pressure to conform and stop rocking the boat, stop being crackpots, stop being weirdos, and be right like everybody else. And this wasn't just pressure on Facebook. It was pressure, pressure. For instance... They were in crushing poverty. We're not talking welfare here. We're talking living in boxes on the side of the road, eating weeds when you can find them. Because they were Christians, even if they were professionals, the trade unions wouldn't let them in, so they couldn't get work. When they went to market, people knew they were Christians, so they wouldn't sell them anything. They couldn't buy food. When they went to market to sell what they had, people knew they were Christians, they wouldn't buy from them. They were dirt poor. They were boycotted and blocked. And Jesus said they were also being slandered. And again, he's not talking about giving somebody the cold shoulder. He's talking about saying the kind of things that make people block you and boycott you. For instance, people were saying, oh, those Christians are cannibals. They eat the body and drink the blood of their Lord. (gasps) Don't go near them, they're going to eat your babies. They said, those Christians are immoral. They treat each other with a holy kiss. Holy kiss, please. We know what they're doing. They're destroying our nation. They're rocking the boat. They were falsely accused of all kinds of just random crimes. They couldn't get justice in court because they were Christians and nobody wanted to deal with them. Their property got seized. Think about the way the Jews were treated in Nazi Germany. It was that kind of thing. Think about the way the blacks were treated in Jim Crow South. That kind of thing. Jesus tells them they're going to be thrown in prison, and by golly, they were. So we read that, and I don't know about you, but my mind just kind of goes to, yeah, in America, Christians are being persecuted too. We're being persecuted. But I'm not talking about just suffering in general, the normal aches and pains of living in a fallen world. I'm talking about persecution because of Christ, because we're following Christ. Jesus says that if we follow him, the world is going to hate us for it because the world hates him. Paul says the same thing. So we expect to be persecuted. We look at church history and we envy those early Christians, their faith and their strength and their, the power that they had to believe. I'm going to tell you that the worst thing that ever happened to Christianity was when the Roman Emperor Constantine made Christianity the state religion. All of a sudden, the church had power and money and influence and corruption and violence were immediate, right down the toilet. We could inflict Christianity on anybody. So let's look at American Christianity. Just... Jump that train and jump to the next one. American Christianity has enjoyed a long, long time of undue position and cultural power and influence, preferential treatment and comfort. We have. It's not our fault, that's just how it's been. The problem is that anytime this notion of the preferential treatment and cultural position is challenged, many Christians think that we're being persecuted. Here's a little blurb I ran across uh, searching online for Christians being persecuted in America. Here's what it says. At campuses throughout the country, outspoken Christians are regularly demeaned, debased, and targeted for their beliefs. Academics, social groups, and college organizations regularly ridicule Christians, calling them hateful, bigoted, privileged, and stupid, among other labels. We know these things happen. We've seen it. But is that persecution? I'd like to suppose that we should get real. This isn't persecution. What we're facing is not persecution. It's contempt and ridicule. It's not persecution. Sometimes people actually hate Jesus. But mostly they hate us. And ladies and germs... Sometimes we deserve it. We've earned some of that. A lot of times we don't, but, you know, we have to be honest. Occasionally, we do face a little bit of actual discrimination, but this is America, and we have legal recourse. If you get let go from a job because you're a Christian and people don't want you there, you have legal recourse. You don't have to take it. Most of what we're facing, frankly, is Christianophobia. We're awkward to be around. It's kind of embarrassing, you know, those people with their crosses and their Bibles. But that's really it. And being persecuted for its own sake isn't a virtue any more than being poor for its own sake is a virtue. It's just a thing that Jesus says is going to happen. So it might be worth asking ourselves, if we're not facing real persecution, maybe it's because in our power position, we're not being very real Christians. Really, we don't risk much, and we whine a lot. Sometimes it seems that we are determined to grab power and keep it and force the whole nation to conform to our wishes, no matter how un-Jesus-like we have to be to do it. And it shows. Sometimes people don't hate Jesus because we never, they never get a chance to see Jesus in us. So I'm just going to put that out there as something you might want to have a look at. Often, we aren't following Jesus to the extent that we would give up worldly power or endure suffering graciously or live simply in order to give generously or shut up and listen to our enemies Or speak the truth with kindness and compassion. Or put the needs of others ahead of our own convenience. Or embrace a life of humble service. Or turn the other cheek. So, what is real persecution? Well, let's have a look. How about Nigeria? This is is a report I got from 2017, so it's already out of date, and it's not getting better. Nigeria, killings of Christians increased more than 60% in 2017 alone and continue to rise. Whole villages of Christians have been murdered, churches destroyed, and property seized. In Mexico and Colombia, Drug cartels killed 23 Christian leaders for their faith and for using their faith to stand up against the cartel's criminal activities. In Egypt, Coptic Christians, Coptics are a brand of Christians in Egypt, Coptic Christian women are kidnapped and forced to convert to Islam and sold as domestic slaves, where they are sexually exploited and physically abused. In Indonesia, an Islamic family launched a suicide bombing attack on three churches, killing 10 people and severely injuring 40 others. In Jakarta, the Christian, governor, the Christian governor was charged with blasphemy and forced out of office. He was sentenced to jail time for his faith. In China, the government has begun a systematic campaign to destroy church buildings and all Christianity-related structures beginning with the destruction of one of the largest churches in China, where over 50,000 Christians were worshiping every week. In North Korea, having a Bible in your possession, mentioning God, or gathering to worship are all crimes punishable by being sent to a labor camp or even death. And the families of such criminals are also punished severely. Christians worldwide are facing crushing poverty, violence, injustice, and death. They're pressured to convert to Islam or Hinduism or state-mandated atheism. That's persecution. Now, in a tiny way, really, we are being pressured to convert as well. We're in America, in the Western world, we're being pressured to convert to materialism which is the philosophy that only things you can touch and measure are real. The spiritual world doesn't exist. And the world doesn't have any meaning or purpose other than what you decide to give it. That's materialism. And there's a hard push to convert us to that. Much more seductive, we're also being pushed to convert to Christian nationalism, which is the idea that patriotism and Christianity are the same thing that America is the church. That's idolatry, by the way, and we're being pressed to convert to that. So we are under a little bit of persecution in that sense, but no, Christians in the Western world are not being persecuted in that sense, that the rest of the world is being persecuted in. Now I dragged you through all of that not to make you feel bad, but to affirm that, in fact, all Christians everywhere are being persecuted, just as Smyrna was, but it's the real persecution. Let's go back to the scripture. It says, I tell you, the devil is going to put some of you in prison and you will suffer persecution. It's against us personally, each and every one of us, and it's also against our enemies. It's the same today as it was for Smyrna. 2,000 years ago. It's the same for Smyrna as it was for Adam and Eve. Satan's behind it. Now don't get the willies, don't get all green and wiggly on me. Jesus and Paul and all the apostles and everybody in the first century world assumed that the spiritual world included evil spirits that are out to get us and they just dealt with it. Jesus expect us to just deal with them. Paul reminds us, put on the whole armor of God so that you will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities and cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So it's real. C.S. Lewis, my personal mentor, has this to say, He says there's two equal and opposite errors which our race can fall into about the devils. One is to not believe in them at all. That's a mistake. The other is to believe in them and become fascinated and preoccupied with them. That's a mistake, too. We're not going to do either one. What Jesus wants us to do is just deal with them. We're going to look how in a minute. Okay? But here's a question We're Christians. We can't be possessed by the devil. True, we can't be possessed by the devil. We have the Holy Spirit inside us. The devil can't fit in there with the Holy Spirit. But if you think of the devil as being like rats and flies, we can sure be harassed. Remember fly season a month ago? Yeah, we can sure be harassed. And if the devil can harass Jesus, which it did, remember being tempted in the desert? If the devil can harass Jesus... The devil can harass us. So it's not a big deal. I just want to kind of take a step off to the side for a second and ask, how did the Jewish synagogue in Smyrna become a synagogue of Satan? What was going on? Because what happened to them can happen to us, and it's important for us to have a look at it. We're going to look at the conversation between Jesus and the Jews in John 8, 42 and 45. He's talking to a different bunch of Jews, but it's the same issue. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I've come here from God. I didn't come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you carry out your father's desires. Ouch. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and a father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you don't believe me. Jesus is exposing the weapon of the enemy. Satan is a liar. He uses lies to try to commit murder. Okay, that's that's his weapon. So Satan is telling the Smyrna Jews lies about themselves. That they are the righteous ones. That they're in danger. See if any of these lies sound familiar to you. That they are responsible to preserve good. It's up to them. That their world is about to end. He's telling them lies about Rome. That they need the Roman peace. That it's okay to be oppressed so long as you're getting something out of it. Telling them that Rome, Rome will come and stamp them out in order to get at the Christians. Above all, he's telling them that Rome is huge and powerful and therefore must be right. He's telling those Jews about their need for power and violence and injustice in order to save their church and their nation and their lives. All lies dangerous lies that get them to murder each other Are there modern churches that could be falling into the same trap If you're not loving God this was hard for me to get my brain around but I think I've finally got a grip on it If you're not loving God and loving people then you're loving Satan There is no neutral ground there's no breathing space. There's no place you can go to not be bothered by who you're serving. Minute by minute, step by step, we have to choose. God or not God. So, that was a little grim. Let me give you the word of hope. Okay? Jesus also says that if they, church, the Christians in, in Smyrna persevere and continue to do his way and walk his walk with him, even to the point of death, he says, I'm going to give you the crown of life. Against death, I'm going to give you life. And he says, you're not going to be hurt by the second death. That's the judgment day. Because you weren't afraid of the first death. There's no rebuke. All the letters to the churches that we're going to be looking at, each church, this, Jesus says, okay, there's, this is about you that's good, and there's this about you that you're not doing too good on. This church, the church in Smyrna, there's no rebuke. Because they were faithful to death, their candlestick has never been removed. Christianity has never completely left that city. It's the only one of the seven cities that's still in flourishing condition. This is a picture of modern-day Smyrna in contrast to Ephesus. Ephesus is on the right. It's a smoking ruin. Smyrna is still a large seaport with a present population of about 275,000 people. It's known as Izmir in Turkey now. Okay? So, a little hope for you. All right, back to work. How do we fight this enemy? You don't fight Satan by focusing on Satan, okay? That's what Lewis was warning against. Don't put your eyes on the enemy. We put our eyes on Jesus and his victory. You know, I honestly don't need to finish this sermon because the worship team just gave us the whole sermon. This is all going to sound familiar. Jesus says to these people who are eating dirt at the side of the road, you're rich. You're rich, remember that. You're rich in me. Another way that we focus on Jesus is by cleaning up the garbage in our lives. If we think about demons as being like rats and flies, rats and flies go to garbage. When we get rid of our garbage, they don't have anything to infest. They lose their grip on us. Some of the garbage would be the pain and bitterness and hopelessness that we carry with us from old wounds. The way to address that is to go into those memories with Jesus and say, Lord God, please bring your light and presence into this memory. He doesn't change what happened, but he will sure change what it meant. He will give you his word and his light and his presence in those memories. And that garbage will evaporate. It'll become a treasured memory instead. Another way to clean up the garbage is to repent of our sins. Even though we're saved, even though we're forgiven, Jesus says, you know, your feet are still dirty. You've been out in the world. We still track stuff in. So we need to, every day... As we go to bed, look over the day and say, Lord, show me, is there anything you need to clean up? Is there anything I need to repent? What do you want to show me? Peter says, have a good conscience so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. So we need to be examining our behavior and making sure that it actually does please Jesus. So some sins that we can be on the lookout for are things like giving in to fear, having unforgiveness and bitterness against people, having contempt for people, and idolatry, putting God second to anything. Just a sampler's grab bag to choose from. You've probably got other stuff. Another way to fight the devil that Jesus talks about in this letter is don't be afraid. Do you know that's the most common commandment in the entire Bible? Fear not. And what do we know about things that get repeated in the Bible? Yeah, they're important. And the more they get repeated, the more important it is. Don't be afraid. Jesus has overcome death. You know, the lies that Satan tells, sooner or later, they all kind of circle back to our fear of death. Obviously, our fear of physical death. But also our fear of that social, emotional death. You know, how it kind of feels like you're going to die if you get embarrassed or humiliated or the situation is just really, really awkward or somebody's bullying you. Just let your mind percolate all those social deaths that you try to shy away from and get out of. The little white lies that we tell, the topics we avoid, the ways we duck into the bathroom when a certain person is coming, you know that stuff. Okay, that's all Satan's lies about you're going to die, it's going to be awful. And Jesus addresses that, he introduces himself to this whole letter. He lands and says, I am the one who died and rose again. Jesus has conquered not only our physical death, but all that emotional, social death stuff. He went through all of it. There's just nobody that Jesus didn't disappoint and who didn't get after him, whether they were friendly or not. He's been through all that stuff and conquered it. And he says, be faithful, even unto death. Trust me. Do it my way even unto death. No matter how squirmy and uncomfortable it gets, no matter who hates you, no matter if it is a bad diagnosis, continue to trust me and follow me and do what I say and what I say is easy. Well, simple. It's simple. Love God. Love people. No matter what. Stick to your guns and get it done. Do you ever feel like A human life just takes forever sometimes get a little tired of trying to keep following jesus and he's still walking you know it can feel like it's just going to be way too long because it feels like forever when we're going through it but jesus describes it as 10 days you're going to be persecuted for 10 days You know, in the Bible, 40 days and 40 nights, that's code for it was a long time. (laughs) Three days and seven days, that's code for it was a sacred time. Ten days, it's a fortnight. You know, who cares? It's ten days. Don't even bother counting it. Our lifetime is a gnat's eyelash. Honestly, we were, we've been alive since before time and we're going to be alive way out past Phoenix. All right? The human lifetime is a gnat's eyelash. So, circle back. Don't fight the devil by focusing on the devil. That's like trying to fight a hive of bees. You know, he's doing this, I've got to do that. He's doing this, I've got to do that. i got to go in there and stamp that. Can't do it. You fight the devil by focusing on Jesus one task. You got one job to do. Love. Keep loving. Keep on loving. Love when you can't love. Keep at it. And above all, believe Jesus. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. Believe the truth that Jesus speaks, even when it's unbelievable. The only reason it's unbelievable is because our brains have been sweetened to the lies of the enemy. Just like Jesus told the Jews, you can't hear me because you're listening to the devil. And you don't have to do this in cold blood. You ask God, help me hear you, help me believe you, and he will be thrilled to do that. That's the prayer he's on like flies on pie. mm And also, this is kind of like a, just a... Here's a candy cane after all your Christmas presents. Remember that persecution is good for us. Peter really gets in, hell oh, Peter, boy, I'm telling you what. He really gets into this and he talks about how persecution is good for a disciple because it teaches us to persevere. It teaches us faith and patience and courage. So hold on to the good stuff, too. Okay. How would you like to strike a blow against evil right now, right here in this church service? You guys up for that? Yeah? yeah? Okay. All right. I keep, Every time I preach, I, maybe you've noticed this by now, I keep circling back to the whole love your enemies thing, and I'll tell you why I do that. I'm in love with that verse. That is the big gun of spiritual warfare. That's the big 30-millimeter cannon or whatever it is that's the big thing now. Jesus starts it. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And Jesus was saying that in the face of Herod, who persecuted the, out of everybody. He's saying it in the face of the Romans, who crucified a whole lot more people than him. And he says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. He's telling us how to fight the devil. And then Paul jumps on that. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of everyone. If possible, if it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay? So at this point, the worship team is going to start sneaking back up here. And while they're doing that, I'd like you to just close your eyes for a minute and picture some of your enemies. People who annoy you. People who don't like you. People who hate your country people who tax you too much, whoever it is. Get them pictured in your mind as clearly as you can. As you picture them, picture the demons that ride piggyback on them, pulling their ears and hair and whispering lie after lie after lie after lie into their ears. Picture those demons making them miserable, making them do stupid things that they don't want to do. Have you got them pictured? Okay. Please stand up and help me deliver this benediction to our enemies. We're going to do the benediction today. I'm not speaking over you, you're speaking over them. Okay, you ready? Let's do it.